Good morning. Sorry, the mom and me. I came up with 10 things. I don't know why. Hold on. I'm so happy to be here this morning. All right, let's try that one more time. I'm so happy to be here this morning. I hope, I hope you're happy. And it seems like today's message is going to be like perfect, right up your alley, like something that some of us need. Because as you can see on the screen today, we start a new series called Awake. Awake. It's a new series. It's talking. We're going to be talking about how to awaken something that has gone dark. And I know that we all know what darkness looks like because we've been in the darkness. Maybe some of us are struggling with darkness right now. But if you don't struggle with darkness, I'm sure we'll find something that you can kind of connect to. And this morning to get us started, the first thing or the most important thing is I want to make sure that you woke up before you came here this morning. And if you haven't woken up, then if you can ask your neighbor to please help you out with that, a good, a good uh, elbow would work. Um, somebody turn to your neighbor and tell them, I hope you're awake. I hope you're ready. You know, I know sleeping in late, some of us, this is our second go around today. But I want to encourage you this morning that God has a fresh word for us today. I want to encourage you that he has something he wants to say, that he is ministering in my life. Like we always say, I never want to preach something that God hasn't worked in my life first. I never want to preach from a place like I've got it all figured out, but because I know that I am full of flaws and God is working in my life too. So before we get started, let's pray and let's just ask God to speak how he wants to speak this morning, right? And, and let us be not just hearers of the word, but doers and let us receive the word that God has for us today. So let us pray. Father, we thank you. You are so good. We're grateful to be here this morning. We're grateful for your presence. We're grateful for what you did among us during worship. But to now, today, we are ready for your word. We're ready to hear what you have for us today. And we just pray that our hearts and that our minds be ready. Let them be receptive to your word. Let it fall on good soil. And let us be able to produce fruit from here. I pray that you would speak on my behalf. Let it be you and not me. Because this is your house. This is your people. This is your children. And no one loves them more than you. So we ask that you would be with us and you would direct everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're on this series called The Wake. And uh, this past week, Will and I were traveling to Michigan, um, kind of part of a cohort that we're part of for Recalibrate. And uh, we got home really late on Thursday night. Like, we got home. It was probably close to midnight. So we went straight to sleep. We didn't see the kids, you know, all those days away. And, I mean, I was hoping, but I kind of had a feeling that I was going to get an early morning wake-up call. But, you know, I was hoping. I'm always hoping. Summertime, something, you know, would encourage them. My kids can go to sleep at 11 o'clock at night and still wake up at 6. And 6.45, I hear all the footsteps like a herd of elephants just coming through the door. Mommy, Papi, are you here? I was like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. That was how we got woken up on Friday morning. But the truth is that that's how we get woken up every day that there's no school, which is every Saturday. <laughs> every Saturday, my kids wake up at 6.45, and they come running to the room to see if we're alive, to see if we're awake. And if we weren't awake before they got there, we are awake once they get there. And it is not my favorite way to get woken up. I don't know if anybody else likes to be awakened like that, you know, kind of alarmed and afraid and like, huh, what's going on? I'm a little better with it, I guess, because I'm a mom. Will always wakes up like, huh, what was happening? You know, I'm always like, babe, this this is, are you not used to it by now? It's nine years. But he's still, he's still that person that, you know, you get woken up. And that's not the kind of awake that I'm talking about. <laughs> Thankfully, when we talk about being awakened or when we're talking about this series, but we're more so talking about being awake to what God has for us. Being awake to the fact that there is more than we're living. There is more than we've experienced so far in our lives. Even more that God wants to do. Even more that God can do. And I don't know how many of us may be feeling stuck, maybe feeling like we're lost in a sea of things where we really, it really doesn't seem like if there really could be more. It doesn't seem or it doesn't feel like there could be better on the other side. I know we, we say it, right? We hear it. Maybe we want to believe it, but it's hard to truly, really believe that there can be more. But I want you to be encouraged that the whole purpose of this series is to talk about how God is able but I always love to say this because just because he can doesn't mean he will. But he is also willing 
to wake us up to something more, right? He is willing and he is able to do more. The Bible says that even those things that we haven't fully thought out or said, he is able to do more than those thoughts. He is able to do more than those things that we say. So he wants to wake us up to more. He wants to do more in our lives and um, he wants to wake us up to the things he wants to do. And there's a saying going around these days and I think we all know it. You know, we gotta stay woke. Right? Got to be woke and, you know, woke. Wait, I don't even know how to say it properly. I feel like I'm in the wrong, I'm saying it in the wrong way. But we all know what it means. Right? And it's a saying that's going on now. And, and the true meaning of it is, hey, you got to be awake to the surroundings. You got to be awake to the truth of, you know, discrimination and injustice happening in our world. You got to be awake because it's everywhere. Right? But I want to encourage you this morning to be woke and to stay woke, but not to what everybody else is doing. But stay woke to what God wants to do in your life. I want to encourage you to be woke to the truth of who God is because it doesn't matter what your neighbor does. Yes, it could hurt, yet it, could, yet it can affect you. But what matters most, what our eyes need to be fixed on is what God is wanting to do in our lives. Because like I said before, he's always ready to do more. What we've lived up to this point is not all that God has for us. So that's good news. For those of us who've had some rough couple of months, the good news is God's plan is not for you to stay in those rough couple of months, but he wants to do more, and he wants to do far whatever you can think or ask. And maybe you're struggling, but we want to be able to talk about during this series of moving from struggling to spiritually strong. Because we're going to have struggles. The struggles are guaranteed. The issues are guaranteed. The problems are guaranteed. But how can we move from living a life of being drowned by our struggles to being people who are spiritually strong, who may struggle but can get back up, who may have issues but can get back up? Because the, the important question here is how many of you do not have any issues? Thank you. Because if you would have put your hand up, I would have said the issue is denial. <laughs> We've all got issues. We all got problems. We all have things that we need God to do a little more work on, right? We all have things that we are waiting on God to give us an answer, to give us a response, to show us a new way either out of something or into something. We're all there. And there's different times in history where we can see a story about a great awakening. And one of those was in the 18th century called The Great Awakening where there was just an awakening that came among the people and the people were awake to who God was and it stirred something in them that changed their families, that changed their communities, that changed their churches, that changed their country. And then we saw it again in the 19th century, the second great awakening, you know, very uh, clever, the first and the second. And there's something that's a phenomenon because I'm believing that we could see it in America, but we haven't seen it to this magnitude yet and it's in the country of Wales where there was a time in history where there was such an awakening that the entire country had an awakening. And it wasn't the stay woke, look over your shoulder because your neighbor's coming for you. No, it was the be awake to the fact that God does more. Marriages were healed. Families were restored. So much so that the morality of the country came up. There was no, no crime. Like the, the, literally the cops had nothing to do. The judges walked around with white gloves to symbolize the fact that there was no one to judge. Because there was nothing wrong. And that's what God can do when his people turn to him. And I know we're all waiting on different things from God and we're expecting different things from our society. But if there's something that we got to know is that great awakenings don't happen in the White House. Great awakenings happen in the house of God. We can't expect other people. We can't expect our government. We can't start, you know, putting down on ourselves because Trump is not the president we want. It doesn't matter who's there. The awakening will not come through our government. The awakening will come through the house of God, through his children who have turned to him, to his children who have decided to be who he has called us to be. So you're in the right place today. You're in the right place for an awakening. You're in the place that you need to be to have an encounter with God, for God to stir something up in you that may start at your seat, but can move to your house. That may not just stay in your house, but can move to your community. That will not just stay in your community, but will affect our church. That will not stay here, but will start to change the places that we live, our country, our world. And I was telling the crowd this morning, I was like, listen, I don't want you to get overwhelmed thinking about the whole world. If you can start an awakening in your house, I would say that that is something great that God has done. 
If you can raise children who love the Lord and also go out and raise more children that love the Lord, you did something great. So let's start with us. Let's start with our house. Let's start with what we have right in front of us. I know that when we talk about change and we talk about something new, the first thing we think about is, but how? You know, I'm being pulled in so many directions. I've got so many distractions. I've got so many fears. I've got so many doubts. So many things that are trying to get my attention. How can I possibly get started? But today we're going to talk a little bit about how we can get started and what God wants to do to you and in you. Because God can't do any great work through you until he first does a great work in you. You can't wake anybody else up if you're not awake yourself. My kids are wide awake, and that's why they make me wide awake. But for us to start awakening our families, for us to start awakening the people around us first, we need to be awakened. And maybe you've been asleep spiritually, maybe because of something that happened, something someone said, maybe because of yourself, whatever the situation is, maybe you've been sleeping and God says it's time for you to sleep no more. I want to awaken you. To know that you don't have to throw in the towel, that it doesn't have to stay as it is. Whoa, this is life. Life sucks. No, God says I've got more. I've got better. I can do it. And more than that, I want to do it. Because the thing that God wants for each of our lives is for us to have meaningful lives. Lives that are alive and are life-giving. For you to be the person that walks into a room and changes the atmosphere because what you bring is life-giving. Not to be the person that walks in the room and drains the energy. He doesn't want you to be the person when you walk in, you're like, oh, God. No, the person that has something. God has awakened me so much that I can bring, aw I can bring some awakeness to you. That word is wrong, but that's the one. It's not grammatically correct. I can wake you up. God wants to awaken us. And throughout this series, we're going to be talking about some principles of being awakened. Um, there's many things that come into play that we could see throughout the story of these great awakenings. But there's four that we're going to take a look at through this series. And the first one is, it's important for us to confess any known sins. The second one is that we have to remove doubtful things. The third one is that we have to live in instant obedience. I'm telling you, this is going to be a fun series. You know, that fun that's like, oh. We have to publicly confess Jesus. So I don't want you to miss any of these weeks that we've got left in June because we are going to be talking about some stuff that may be like, uh, but I promise you that if you stick to it and you open yourself up to God, God is going to stir something up in you that can awaken other people. But today we're going to look at confessing known sins and mm, it's it may not be a popular topic I kind of feel like I've told this you guys this before I kind of feel like Will gives me all the unpopular topics it's like every time we're talking about this he's like yeah you should talk about money why do I always have to be the finance person like no one wants to hear that message and I always get the messages that nobody wants to hear but I believe that we're going to want to hear this one today because it's about healing and freedom that God wants to bring to us confessing any known sins. And we're going to start with a, a, a story in the Bible that's really early on. We're going to turn to Genesis chapter 2. So here is God, here's the Trinity, and the Trinity gathers together and says, hey, the world is empty and it's a mess. We've got to make something. So this is a story of creation where God starts to create the world and there's light and there's night and there's trees and there's land, right? And there's, I mean, the sea and there's land and there's fish and there's animals and all these type of things. And when he's done with all creation, he says, all right, now it's time for us to make someone in our likeness, someone in our image, something that represents us. And he decides I'm going to make humanity. So here in chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathe into his nostrils the breath of life. Everyone say breathe. And the man became a living creature. So the first inhale of Adam was the exhale of God. And Adam wakes up to the face of his creator, the first great awakening. So Adam is there, he's in the garden, and he's in community with God. I'm telling you, he's good because he knows God, God knows him. There's nothing in between. There's no limits. There's no conditions, nothing in between us. You know, the, you know those relationships that don't take a lot of work? 
But you know those relationships that take a lot of work, that you got to breathe a couple breaths and you got to do a couple prayers before you pick up the call because, you know, you, you know, it's a lot of work. No, this is not one of those. This is one of those good relationships where it was just natural. It was just organic. It just felt right. It felt good. And here Adam is. He talks to God every day. He walks with God every day. He's handling God's business. He don't feel a certain kind of way because you're asking me to do something, God. No, he's like, this is part of it. This is part of the relationship. And they're walking together. There's no shame, nothing. Then God says, you know what? It's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make him a helper. And then we see further down in verse 21 where he forms the woman out of his rib and he puts Adam to sleep to do this. And then Adam wakes up, the second great awakening, to the face of a beautiful woman. And many men would probably say those are the two best ways to be woken up. To the face of God and the face of a beautiful woman. Yes, you want to be that beautiful woman. I got you now, you. So this is the second great awakening. And he's, he's like, this is great. I got God. I got my woman. They're naked. We all know this, yet there's no shame. They're naked, yet there's nothing that they feel bad about, nothing holding them back. They're walking in liberty. They're walking in freedom. They're walking, not looking over their shoulder, not worrying about what anybody else is saying, not worrying about if they looked at me. Or, you know, it's something that we've never experienced. They're walking good, no shame, no reservations. But then, dun, 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 chapter 3 comes around. And we come to chapter 3 to find an Adam and an Eve that decided to listen to the serpent and eat of the fruit. Yeah, it was perfect. Wow. To eat of the fruit that God had said not to eat from. And God comes, and now all of a sudden, sin enters. And that good relationship that we had all of a sudden became difficult. All of a sudden became hard work. And what is the first thing that Adam and Eve do? They hide. They had been naked all along, but they had no shame. All of a sudden, they hide. So in chapter 3, verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, meaning the time when, Jesus, when God always came around. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Here we have an Adam that every day in their appointments, their coffee date, in the cool of the day when God came calling, Adam ran to God like a kid runs to his dad when he walks through the door. But now we find an Adam and Eve that are doing what when God calls? Hiding. And God says, Adam, he calls him out and says, where are you? And the question is, why is God asking the question? If Micah were here, Micah would say, but mommy, isn't God God? Why is he asking him that? Doesn't he know everything? He does. God's not asking Adam, where are you as a form of, you know, I don't know. But his where are you is an invitation to Adam. He's saying, where are you? I'm inviting you to come out and come to me. And we see the beginning of a God that says, hey, you might have messed this up. You might have messed up the, the, the relationship, but guess what? I'm going to initiate the restoration. Maybe it's your fault, but I'm going to initiate that fixing it. Isn't it awesome that God does that? He does that for you. He does that for me. Maybe we made mistakes, but God says it doesn't matter what you did. What I know is that I'm calling you to come back. What I know is I'm calling you to come close. It doesn't matter to me what you did as much as you mattered to me. What you did is not who you are. Who you are is a child of God. So God calls us in, calls us to come close. But why is Adam acting like this? And it's because sin leads to shame. When we get caught up in sin, when we sin, the first thing that comes is shame. We start to feel bad, and now we, now we got to be worried about what's going on. And, you know, we, we're, we're doing all this thing and squirming around from God and other people because we feel ashamed of what we've done. Adam had never experienced shame because he had never sinned. But the moment he sinned, the first thing that came was shame. 
and he hid. But God doesn't want us to live a life full of shame. What he wants us to live is to live a life of freedom. So sin leads us to shame, but shame leads us to hiding. When we sin, we feel ashamed, then all of a sudden we hide. We hide from God. We hide from people. And maybe you don't hide in a hiding place like when you're playing hide and seek, but maybe your hiding place are things. Maybe your hiding place is that website. Maybe your hiding place is that food. Maybe your hiding place are those text messages. Maybe your hiding place is, you know, in drinking, in, in other addictions, in drugs. See, we've all got these hiding places. Maybe your hiding place is literally being angry at the world and isolating yourself. We find these hiding places the moment that we feel shame. The moment that sin comes, it grips us, it makes us feel ashamed, and we go and we hide. And that shame is what keeps us in that place where we're deleting histories on our computers. Where we're deleting text messages we don't want anyone to see. Where we're hiding the food, we're eating ourselves to death, but we don't want anyone to know, so we hide it. You know, that shame that has you coming in late so nobody says hi to you before and leaving before it's over so you make sure no one asks how you're doing. The first thing that happens is we run from God. We hide from God and we hide from anyone else that can lead us closer to God. But even when we do that, we serve a God who says, I have an open invitation for you. And I'm inviting you to come back in. I'm inviting you to come closer. Sin leads us to shame. Shame leads us to hiding. But the worst thing is that when we're already stuck in shame and we're hiding, we, come, we become so good at hiding that then that leads us to pretending. And all of a sudden, this shame, this sin, took us to shame. Now we're in hiding and now we've been in hiding so much that we're pretending that we don't even know what's real and what's not. We become this person of, well, I guess it is what it is. This is who I am. This is how it is. And we become pretenders. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Everything's good. How's your family? Great. Never been better. Things are horrible. And somehow we've become these people that think that being a good Christian is being someone who acts like if everything is okay. Somehow we believe that being a good Christian is being the person that never has struggles and can never just admit to them. But God says there's no freedom in that. Now you're captive to shame. Now you're captive to hiding. Now you're captive to sin. And you're working really hard to act like if everything is good when it's not. But guess what? You're not doing anything good. You're broken. You're hurting. You're lost. You're confused. You know, all those things that shame and hiding do to us. We, we, don't, we don't know or we don't remember the path to get back to that God because we've got all these voices and all these lies from the enemy telling us it's too late telling us we've messed it up big time, telling us the mountain is so high that we can't climb over it. When all along God is saying, I'm here. And I'm asking you, where are you? Not because I don't know, but because I want to invite you to come in. I want to invite you to restore relationship between you and I. We're broken people. And they say that life, that everything in life can be divided into two kinds of people. You know, you got the dog people, you got the cat people. I don't know. We got those that love Star Wars and those who don't. We love those who love bacon and those who don't. I don't know. I can't understand you. We've got the meat lovers, i.e. normal people, and then we've got the vegetarians and the vegans. I'm just kidding. If that's you, power to you. But we've got the broken and messed up people and the broken and messed up people that pretend that they're not. Because we're all broken and messed up. The question is, do you know that you're broken and messed up? Can you admit that you're broken and messed up? Who are you going to be? Are you going to be the person that says, I got it all good? Like my coworker, you guys already know, blessed and highly favored. I love her faith. I really do. But I want her one day to tell me, you know, can you pray for me? Because I'm not doing good. Just one day, I'm like, 
Lenora, so how are you doing today? I want to catch her at all times of the day. Let me see what she's going to say. Blessed and highly favored. Praise the Lord for you. Sometimes you have to be able to say, I'm struggling. But I don't want to stay struggling, so I need a way to get out. And if you knew the answer, you would have answered it a long time ago. They say that crazy is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. And a lot of us are doing the same thing over and over in our relationship with God, and we're expecting a different result. And God is saying, when are you going to change it up? You want something different? When are you going to do something different? Because sin leads to shame. Shame takes us into hiding, and we hide so long that next thing you know, we're pretenders. And we don't know who we really are. But God knows us fully, and yet he loves us fully. So Adam messed up the relationship, but God initiated the restoration. And we see throughout the Bible that it's all about a story of a God who loves his people so much that does so many things to restore them, so many things to heal them, so many things to heal that relationship, all the way to the point of sending his only son to die a gruesome death, to die horribly, to die in pain so that we can be forgiven. And in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, this is a very famous verse. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. In other words, we get peace because he took the punishment. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, all we like sheep have gone astray. All of us. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we're going to sin. We're going to be messed up. We're going to be broken. But the good news is that it's not up to you to figure that out. It's not up to you to fix your brokenness. It's not up to you to fix your mistakes. See, because Jesus already died for that. <laughs> he already took the shame. He already took the pain. He already took the hurts. So that all you have to do is call upon the one who already did it. He is waiting to meet us, to make a trade. Would you trade your sin? Would you trade your shame? Would you trade the pretending for life in abundance that I can give? But before we can even talk about living free and without shame, there's an important step that we need to do. And I'm not going to lie to you. It is a difficult one, but it is necessary. And that step is that we need to confess. Before we can receive healing, we have to confess our sin. We have to let it go in order for healing to begin. In order for that do-over or that start-over, there's got to be confession. And confession is nothing more than agreement with God. It's about saying, it's about being honest with yourself and being honest with others. And it's not that God needs us to confess. It's that we need to confess. He doesn't need our confession, but you need your confession. Your healing comes when you confess. Your freedom comes when you confess. And there's two different types of confession. See, because we don't want to be people with unconfessed, unconfessed sin, because unconfessed sin, it puts a choke, a chokehold on our souls. And it puts us to sleep spiritually. And I don't know how many of you have been asleep spiritually. It's kind of like when your leg's asleep, but you're awake, but you can't move your leg, but you're watching it, and you know you're awake, but your leg won't move. Right? Unconf unconfessed sins makes our souls like that. We see it, but it doesn't function the way that it should because it's asleep. And some of us have fallen asleep spiritually. So we're saying, God, how can I be awoken? God, how can I move from this? How can I get out of this mess I'm constantly in? And God is saying, I need to wake you up because I need you to be strong. Because I cannot guarantee that struggle won't come. I'm guaranteeing that it will. But I can guarantee that I have the answer that you need. I can guarantee that when you come to me, you will receive every single thing that you need. And there's two forms of confession. And this first one, we can see it in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And there's different ways that we deceive ourselves. One of those is by blaming other people. Well, you know, I wouldn't have done that if such and such hadn't done this. You know, he did me wrong. That's why I did that. We do that. Another way is comparing sin. Well, I'm not as bad as such and such. See, what they did, now that's bad. You know, now God ain't happy with that. Right? We, we love to do that. We love to look at other, measure our sin by other people's sin. But God is saying a sin is a sin. And you need confession to be healed. So the first form of confession is that we need to confess to God. You need to confess, confess your sin to God. You need to tell him what's going on. And I don't know if you've ever had that feeling of, you know, in your life. Because this is something that's not just for that one day when you say, yeah, Jesus, I'm confessing my sins. I want you to be my savior. This is something that has to be routine in our lives. We've got to routinely go back and, make, and confess to God. We've got to do like Psalm 139 says, search me and know my innermost thoughts. See if there's any way in me, any unrighteous way in me, and lead me in the right way. Search my heart. Know my thoughts, Lord. We've got to have that as a continual part of our lives. And something that I like to do is I love to take time to kind of write out my sins. And take time to, to, to write them out. Because sometimes you got to be like, man, God, the way I acted yesterday with that person, it wasn't right. I've got, this, I've got to write this down. I've got to confess this. You know, not carry it around, but let it out. Throw the paper away. Burn it. Whatever. But it's important to specify our sins, because, to write them out specifically because we did them specifically. You know, we love to be like, well, God, you know everything. Just, you know, but you just bring healing today. And God's like, I know everything, but do you? You know, we get afraid to write things out, but God is saying, you want real healing? You want nothing else hanging over your shoulder? I need you to write it out. I want you to lay it out there. Not because you can do something, but because I can. I can take it as far as the east is from the west. So first, we have to confess our sins to God. And second, our favorite. <laughs> James 5.16. This is not my favorite either, guys, okay? But it's important. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We're going to read that together. When I count to three, we're going to start together on therefore. One, two, three. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Sure, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The second type of confession is that we need to confess our sins to one another. And it is not fun. You know, because we got that whole shame thing, that whole hiding thing. But the thing that you want to hide the most is the thing that you need to reveal the most because it is where you will receive healing the most. The thing that you want to hide the most is the thing that you need to confess the most because it's the thing where you will heal the most. It's good when we confess to God. See, because when we want to be forgiven, we confess to God because God is the one who forgives us. But if you want to feel forgiven, you got to confess it to someone else. You know, because we have a really good habit of confessing things to God and then picking it up tomorrow. You know, God, I messed up. I went on that website today. But tomorrow morning when I'm feeling a little kind of way, let me, let me, let me put it back in because I remember. You need that accountability person, that person who will pray for you, that person who will carry your burdens, that person who will remind you this is not who you are. You don't need to go back to that. Remember there's a God who loves you. And I'm not just talking about whatever person. Don't talk to the neighbor that loves to gossip. That's not going to help you. But you need to confess to someone who is filled with the love and the grace of God. Someone who will give you wisdom, who will tell you the truth, but will tell you, hey, all right, we're starting off again tomorrow. His mercies are new every day. Let's pray together. This is not the end. There's a way to move forward. We've got to confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed. Confessing to God brings the forgiveness that we need. But confessing to others brings the healing that we need. And some of us are struggling with the same sin over and over again. The same thing is repeated in our minds. And it's a lot of our cases because we have not confessed them to anyone else. 
We're trying to figure it out on our own. We're trying to silence the voices on our own. And God is saying, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. There is a reason why it's there. Everything in the Bible has a purpose. So many things happen. Why did only these things make it to the book? Because there's something God wants us to know. So when God says it, it's not a suggestion. It's not a, hey, it would be good as. What he's saying is, you need this. Confession is not for him. A confession is for you. To be awakened to what God wants to do, we've got to confess our sins to God. We need to confess our sins to someone else. And the thing that you want to conceal the most is the one that you need to reveal the most. Because it is the one where you will heal the most. There's no healing in hiding. And sometimes maybe the forgiveness or the confession that needs to happen is bringing restitution with someone personally that you've wronged or that has wronged you and bringing that confession and that healing. And sometimes it may not be someone else. You know, we love to categorize sin. We love to do this whole, you know, I don't drink, you know, I don't steal, I don't kill. But God's like, how about that envy though? How about that jealousy? How about that anger? How about that low self-esteem? How about that fear? How about that apathy and that laziness? How about that greed? How about that pride? You know, the pride that I don't need to talk to anybody else and I don't need anybody else because me and God got this figured out. Only God can judge me. Ooh, pride. How about that? Will loves to say, how about them apples? But I don't really like that term. But how about that? If we search enough, we'll find some things. Some things that may not fall into the usual church categories, but they fall into God's categories. Sin that is tearing us apart. Sin that's not allowing us to have relationship with people. Sin that allows us, makes us see everyone like an enemy and doesn't allow us to see what God wants to bring through that person. And then we feel alone because we're unable to confess to anyone else. Now I'm alone, and now it's God's fault that I'm alone. You know, it's a cycle. It starts with sin, takes us to shame, takes us into hiding, takes us into pretending, takes us to isolation. And through this series, our hope is that you would be awakened to the truth that it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to stay there. God has more for you. And there's a story in the Bible. There's a story that I love. And as I was reading it this week, I just, I was crying and I was just like, I don't know if you guys, I mean, you heard that song from Hillsong that says, um, So Will I. It's a very long song. It has a lot of words, yes. But there's a powerful part in that verse that's my favorite that says, you're the one that never leaves the one behind. And maybe you're thinking, I'm not a sheep, but I just thought, God, I'm that one. I'm the one. The one you don't leave behind even when I've messed it up. You don't leave me behind. And I want you to know that healing and restoration is not going to happen in the White House, like I said earlier. It has to happen in God's house. And that's who we are, people of his house. So we have Peter. Peter is a, one of my favorite characters in the Bible because he's interesting. You know, that's, that's how you know that God loves everyone, when you can see that he loved Peter. So Peter was called by God to be a disciple. And we can see his story in the beginning of Luke where Peter's a fisherman and Peter's out fishing. That's what he does. And Jesus is out preaching, and Jesus says, hey, can I get on your boat really quick? Gets on, and he's preaching. And they're struggling because they haven't caught any fish. And Jesus says, why don't you throw the net? And they throw the net, and they got all these fish. And he's like, oh, oh, so you're somebody. He's like, okay, uh, you know, who are you? And Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Right? You'll go from fishing fish to fishing men. Follow me. So he takes Peter, and on the other side of that, Peter didn't know that his yes would lead to him having a front row seat to miracles, him having a front row seat to three years of power like he's never imagined, of him living a life that he never thought he would live as a simple fisherman. 
at the bottom of the chain of society. He didn't know that's what was on the other side. And he forms his relationship with Jesus. And they're like buddies. But then Jesus' time is coming to an end. And Jesus is getting ready to die. And he tells Peter, guess what, Peter? Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter says, not me. What do you mean? We're friends. I will never deny you. You know, I will, I will kill whoever does. But sure enough. Comes the moment, Jesus being dragged, you know, questioned in front of Pilate, in front of the high priest. And here comes Peter trying to sneak his way in and hide. And he's asked by various people three times, just like Jesus said, aren't you one of them? No, no, I don't know them. I, I haven't been with them. And just like the Bible says, he denied him three times. And he was hurt. The Bible says that when he realized when the rooster crowed that it really didn't, he, the Bible says he wept bitterly, meaning he could not be contained. He wept. He probably cried for a long time, like, I can't believe this. You know, one of those times where you make a mistake and you're like, I can never bounce back from this. Oh, man, it can never get better than this. And we all of a sudden start going to this place in our minds where everything sucks and everything is horrible and just forget it. I'm just going to forget all about this. And that's exactly what Peter did. Peter says, well, at least I tried. I gave it a shot. I had a good two months with Jesus, you know, but things didn't go as planned. Somebody says something that hurt me. I did something, you know, and we go back. We go back to that hiding place. So when Jesus resurrects and he comes back to meet his disciples, he finds Peter back in his hiding place. Peter's fishing again. I might as well. I already messed up. Peter's back at his fishing, fishing in his hiding place. You know, those hiding places we love to go to, that we go back to. And this part of the story really captured my heart because he's there. But then we see in John 21, Peter's fishing and Jesus is standing at the shore. And Jesus says, hey, friends, got any fish? And they're like, no, nah, we've been fishing all night. And haven't caught any fish. And Jesus said, throw the net to the other side. And they throw the net to the other side. And it gets full of fish. The Bible says so much that the net was about to break. And they come hauling it in. And the moment that he said that, and they saw the fish, they were awakened. And Peter said, it's Jesus. The words sounded familiar. He said, it's Jesus. And he runs out of the boat and he runs to Jesus. And I'm thinking, this is the last time you saw Jesus was you denying him. That was your last memory. Here you are. He shows up to Jesus. And there's something important that we can see in verse 9. And I'm going to tell you right now why it's important. And it says, when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. So Jesus has started a fire for them. And he's standing there. Hey, you got the fish? Bring the fish. Why is it important? Why do we need to know that there was a charcoal fire in place? And it's because if we go back a couple of chapters and if we look in the book of Luke, when Peter came in, you know, trying to hide into the courtyard when he denied Jesus, when he walked in, what he found was a bunch of soldiers warming up in a charcoal fire. And he stood with them to warm up. And that's where he denied Jesus. And here Jesus is recreating Peter's biggest failure. Not to say, haha. See, because when Peter comes of all the things that Jesus could have said, he could have been like, damn, the other happened. He greets him with a charcoal fire because in Peter's memory, charcoal fire represented, that's where I failed God. See, but Jesus, he doesn't do anything halfway. He is a complete God. And he thinks of all the details. He meets Peter in a charcoal fire. And his question to Peter is not, what did you do? His question is, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah. Okay, let's take care of my sheep. And then he says again, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, a third time, because he's complete. 
Peter denied him three times, but a third time Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know everything, God. You know that I love you. He says, so follow me. So the very thing that started Peter's story of follow me, that Peter didn't know was on the other side, is the way that Jesus ends. He says, what you did doesn't matter anymore. I'm restoring your memory so that now you remember us breaking bread and eating fish together at this fire. And I'm still inviting you to follow me. See, because what I promised to you before still stands today. What I spoke over your family, what I told you that I would do, I have not changed my mind. Maybe if you strayed away, maybe things have gone in the way, maybe you've changed course a little bit, maybe there's been a couple of detours, but I'm true to my word, it still stands. It is still true, it is still here. See, because I've been that person. I've been that person with the deleted texts. I've been that person with the deleted emails. But God still says, I've got an open invitation for you to come. I've got an open invitation. Because what you did, unless you decide to make it a cycle, what you did does not have to be what you carry for the rest of your life. I come to bring life and life in abundance. So Jesus says, I'm going to follow you. And this time he didn't know what was on the other side. He didn't know that this time his yes would take him to be one of the greatest apostles. He didn't know that this time his yes would take him to be the author of two of the books of the New Testament. He didn't know that at the other side of his yes would be such great miracles that he would preach in Pentecost and more than 3,000 would be saved. He didn't know that his yes would mean that he would be so in tune with God that even by his shadow people would be healed. But he decided to leave behind his mistakes and say, I will follow you, Jesus. God will not do anything through you until he does something in you. He couldn't use Peter the way Peter was. Peter was too, too caught up on the denial. Peter was so caught up that he decided to just go back to fishing. He, he, didn't, he didn't think about anything else. And God had, Jesus had to restore him and say, guess what? Unless you want to think about that, I'm not thinking about it anymore. Because I've taken your sin. I've, I've thrown it into the depths of the sea to be remembered no more. Because as far as the east is from the west, that's how far your sins are. But it begins with confession. We've got to confess the known sin in order for us to re receive healing, in order for there to be restoration, in order for something new and something fresh to be able to come. God cannot do something in us, through us, until he does something in us. And God wants to use you. He wants to use each one of you. And he has something planned for every single one of you. What you did this morning, what you did yesterday has nothing to do with what he wants to do. The question is, are you willing to follow? Are you willing to confess? And this morning, I didn't want us to leave this place without having the opportunity to let God bring restoration. See, because some of you, and I could see it on you, you're carrying shame. You're carrying guilt. You're hiding so many things because you feel like there's no other way. And God is saying, I'm inviting you to come out. I am calling you. Where are you? Not because I don't know where you are, but because I want to invite you to come to me. I want to invite you to come to the one who heals, to the one who restores. And our serve team is going to pass out an index card, a piece of paper. And we started at the beginning that this can be a powerful series if you're willing to be honest. Right? This can be a powerful series if you're willing to be honest with yourself and with God. And be willing to lay it out on the table. You don't have to figure it out by yourself. God is here and he is able and he is willing. But this morning I want us to confess those known sins. The good thing is that he doesn't expect us to confess what we don't know. But those known, sin, those known sins, he wants us to be able to confess them. 
And let me tell you, this is something that even this morning as I was praying for today, I had to get on my knees and I was confessing. I said, God, because I know there's things in me and I will not stand up there and act like if I've got it figured out, there's no more pretending for me. There's things that I need to confess. There are things I need to bring before you. There are things that I need healing for. And I can't expect anyone else to do it if I'm not willing to do it. So we're going to sing a song. And as the song plays, I want you to really think about it. The good news is that this is not one of those moments where you're going to confess to one another. <laughs> this is just between you and God. This is a confession between you and God. This is where you put that pride and where you put that ego and where you put that self-sufficiency, where you put that anger, where you put that church hurt or whatever you want to call it, where you put the confusion, where you put all the lies of the enemy, every single thing that has stood in the way of what, you, of what God wants to do in your life. You know them. You know what they are. I don't got to call them out. And if you trust God, and if you trust God to truly be a God who restores, if you trust that God can be the God that called Peter and refreshed and renewed what his last memory was into something fresh and new, then I want you to trust him with your confession this morning. And as the song plays, I want you to write it out. It can be a list. It can be a prayer. Whatever you need it to be, just pour yourself out to God right there. And this is something that's symbolic. You know, this is something that is you saying, I'm going to believe you, God. I'm going to lay it all out. And this song is going to play about the Father that loves us more than anything else. About a Father that calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Until a Father that says, I don't want you to stay there. My plan was never for you to stay there. My plan was for you to come out. Because on the other side, got something good for you so this song is going to play and I want you to write it and you can worship and you can sing and you can pray right there something between you and God whatever it is that you need to do in this moment I want you to feel the freedom to do it because we believe in that God is here to bring freedom and bring healing